We all know what the feeling is around Columbia regarding the Gator Bowl, but what's the feeling around South Bend? Our Locked On Gamecocks, your daily podcast on the South Carolina Gamecocks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Gamecock Nation, and welcome back to the Locked On Gamecocks podcast, your show for daily headlines and potential storylines on your favorite South Carolina Gamecock sports teams. I'm your host, Andrew Lyon, and as always, thank you for making the Locked On Gamecocks podcast your first watch or listen here today. We are free and available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts daily. And Gamecock fans, we're just a little over 24 hours away from one of the most hyped-up bowl matchups in recent Gamecock history as the South Carolina Gamecocks are set to take on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish in the Gator Bowl on Friday afternoon. And we started our conversation yesterday regarding the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and what they're going to bring to the field. And while, of course, there's a lot of research that I have done and am going to do in order to try to give y'all my best impression of what the Fighting Irish are going to bring to the field from a personnel and schematic standpoint, there's only really so much I can do without having someone who really covers that program every single day. And that is why on today's show, I'm pleased to be joined by Irish Illustrated's Tim O'Malley. Tim, thank you for coming on today's show. I really appreciate your time. Hey, no problem, Andrew. Happy to be here and not be traveling as I had been most of yesterday. So this is better. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to be, I will have gone through the same thing myself by the time this show ends up being released. So hoping that that goes well at the same time. But so, Tim, obviously, when you look at Notre Dame's season, you know, Notre Dame is coming into this game with an 8-4 and four record, which is pretty good for the majority of college football programs. But for Notre Dame, a team that, you know, has seen a lot of success in recent years with double-digit win seasons, some New Year's Six Bowls, some college football appearances, this season might be viewed by some fans as potentially a down year. Do the fans view that in that light, or do they view this season as one where there were some necessary bumps in the road that will lead to some better results for the program in the coming years? The fan base was just so happy uh, to have Marcus Freeman's new approach uh, in terms of recruiting and going after kind of the, the five stars that Brian Kelly wasn't getting. He would always get four stars and win with them, but they really like Marcus Freeman, the new approach. I think if they were eight and four next year, there would be a revolt, but I, I, a lot of people in retrospect kind of understand it. Nine and three would have been a lot more allowable, I think, from the fan base. Eight and four is just, that's something that happened in the middle of the Brian Kelly era that caused people to kind of wonder if they should move in a new direction. And then, uh, to be fair to Brian Kelly, he went 54 and nine in his last five seasons at Notre Dame with two playoff appearances. They did beat Clemson, number one Clemson under Brian Kelly. It was huge that Marcus Freeman beat Clemson this year because the close loss to Ohio State, was a very good game that most of the nation watched at the beginning of the year. But then there was the loss to Marshall, which, if you really dissect it, is not anywhere near as bad as the home loss midseason to Stanford. Because even though Stanford is a rival up for Notre Dame, and Notre Dame obviously isn't quite as up for Stanford, that's on the coaching staff, that's on the players. Notre Dame should have never lost to that Stanford team. Marshall actually had a couple pieces that gave that as-constructed Week 2 Notre Dame football team with two future NFL corners a lot of problems, and I bring this up because the quarterback was Tyler Buckner, and he had a lot of problems in that game. And I actually think if Notre Dame played Marshall three or four weeks later with Drew Pine, they would have blown their doors off. So I think it Drew, Tyler Buckner has probably progressed past that mentally 
that stage of his development because he did spend time at the booth. He spent time helping the coaching staff and the quarterbacks, but he had troubles trying to complete a lot. Just those, those layup passes that are normally there, they were pressing the receivers and he had some problems with it. So I think that Marshall loss is relevant for South Carolina fans more than anything else that happened this season. Right. And, you know, you mentioned Tyler Buckner, Tim, and of course, as you said, he's been hurt for the majority of the season uh, while Notre Dame and his teammates have been playing. And he's making his first start, at least it seems like, in the Gator Bowl since all the way back in week two when y'all did play the Marshall Thundering Herd. And when considering the time he's had away from the field, uh, Michael Mayer leaving and going on to the NFL and the success the Fighting Irish have had running the football is it maybe a foregone conclusion that Notre Dame's going to try to just pound the rock in this game against the Gamecocks, a team that, you know, while they have maybe slowed down some opponents, at times they have struggled in that department? Yeah, they def- they will definitely attempt to establish the run because I think Tyler Buckner is going to be a better quarterback than Drew Pine, but I'm not sure what we saw from Buckner those first two games indicates he is as a passer. Now, he's a much better runner. In fact, Notre Dame's offense was down a starting offensive lineman, Captain Jarrett Patterson, in those games. The offensive line is much better now, but it was really Buckner running the ball and nothing else that was happening those first few games. Forcing the ball to Michael Mayer was another thing. Well, Michael Mayer is not there anymore, so you will see Tyler Buckner running the ball in this game, which, of course, coming off a shoulder injury, AC joint, collarbone was involved. You have to be a little wary of that. He has not taken a hit since that hit that knocked him out for 10 games this season. Um, You will see a different approach because Buckner has different skills than Drew Pine, but Michael Mayer was, when I say Michael Mayer was the offense, it's not that they had no other pieces around him. It's just he made every piece better. The teams really had to account for Michael Mayer. I know it sounds weird to think of a 6'5", 260-pound tight end that does a lot of blocking as the key to the offense. But as South Carolina fans know, Notre Dame likes to run two tight end packages. Their two two tight end packages used to be Mayer, an All-American, plus a rotating tight end they had two or three of that really had different skills. So I'm curious to see if they will do two tight ends to augment the running game, but that one tight end is not Michael Mayer anymore, and it's just a massive difference. Right, and as you mentioned, of course, South Carolina is dealing with the same issue, but to maybe a greater extent as the Gamecocks are coming into this game with only one scholarship tight end in Nate Atkins, whom, while extremely talented and while he's performed very well recently, might not be quite on the same level as Michael Mayer. So both teams are going to have to make some alterations, it seems like, to their offensive game plan because of these roster defections. Now, Notre Dame, of course, losing Michael Mayer to the NFL, as you just mentioned, it's going to have a big impact on what y'all's strategy might be in terms of the formations and sets you might run. But what kind of impact is the loss of Michael Mayer going to have on the Irish's passing attack? You seem to allude to the fact that there are some other weapons that Notre Dame does have on offense. So who could you see maybe stepping up as that new number one target for the Fighting Irish? Somebody that the Gamecocks might need to watch out for on Friday. They've recruited that position really well. Now, Mayer's original backup is has return to the lineup, Mitchell Evans, and he will play number 88. He is a good downfield threat. He is actually, uh, they won't do this anymore because Drew Pine was such a slightly built quarterback that on fourth and one, Mitchell Evans, the tight end, was their short yardage quarterback. He played quarterback in high school. They called the uh, uh, formation Mitchell Palooza from the old school days. And he was seven for seven on third or fourth and one going into the USC game where he got stopped once. And of course, fans hated the play because he got stopped that one time in his life. But he will play. Uh, he's a good downfield weapon. Now, their other technical backups, tight end number three, Kevin Bauman, is out for the year. And tight end number four, Eli Raritan, a highly touted freshman, is out for the year. So they will use tight end number five. They, they recruit tight ends at Notre Dame. So they will use tight end number five, a freshman, Holden Stays. And I think if you see another tight end, he is a former walk-on that is kind of a 
Davis Sherwood is his name, number 38. He is a blocker. He comes in and he runs H-back and blocking. They'll use two tight ends still. They have those three healthy in Stays, Evans, and Sherwood. But I don't think you can make that your offense anymore when it's not Michael Mayer. I do think Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator, will use both Audric Estime. They call Baby Bus because of his running style like Jerome Bettis. He's not quite as nimble as Jerome Bettis was. And Logan Diggs, who really is a hard-charging running back. I think those two combine for 30, 35 touches because they can both catch the ball in the backfield as well. That's that's going to be a big part of the offense, and we will see if Reese uses two running backs at the same time. He sprinkled that in a lot, especially against Clemson this year. Right, and, you know, again, it's going to be interesting to see how both of these teams make adjustments. For South Carolina, you know, they've also liked to run a bunch of two tight end sets, whether that is, you know, maybe some power downhill runs or, you know, the last couple of games, especially for South Carolina, having some guys kept back for some max max for some max pass protection in the pocket to try to give Spencer Rattler more time to use that arm talent that he has. So we'll see what happens with all of that as we get into this bowl game on Friday. And we're going to continue our conversation here with Tim O'Malley in just a couple moments right here on Locked On Gamecocks. But before we do that, I do want to let you all know that today's show is brought to you by our friends over at Bet Online. BetOnline is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, from football to basketball, soccer, and even eSports. BetOnline has got it all. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. BetOnline continues to be the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fixed. So head over to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more because BetOnline is where the game starts. Hey, Gamecock fans, we are now back continuing our conversation here with Irish Illustrated's Tim O'Malley on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish South Carolina's upcoming opponent here in the Gator Bowl. Now, Tim, let's step back and take another look at Marcus Freeman real quick, because obviously, as you mentioned, you know, it seems like that, especially with the way Brian Kelly left Notre Dame back in the past offseason, that a lot of Irish fans got behind Marcus Freeman. He was a guy that had been in the program, was promoted from defensive coordinator up to the head coaching position, a guy that seems to be a really big players coach, someone that the team rallies around, and someone, obviously, as you mentioned, that's recruited quite well. But, of course, you know, at the end of the day, fans are going to look at the coaching side of things more than anything else, especially after you've had a couple of years. So, in just his first year... How has Marcus Freeman changed from maybe game one all the way up till now? Yeah, I think he's starting to involve himself more. And he admitted, especially last year when he took over for a month for the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State, it was almost refreshing. He admitted, he's, he's like, I am not involved in the offense for this game at all because he was the defensive coordinator up until bowl preparations. I think he immersed himself in. Uh, Tommy Reese is no longer seen as the ass- assistant head coach or head coach of the offense. Freeman really, his his theory, and I'm not sure Irish fans love this because it's a lot like Brian Kelly's, is he wants to be an offensive line, defensive line driven program. He wants his best players to be his biggest, strongest players. He's a bit of an old school coach, more so than I think anyone would have guessed coming in. But if you think, look at, he grew up under Jim Tressel at Ohio State and he's a linebacker from Ohio. That's not exactly, that doesn't exactly scream new age modern football. So I still think they're going to be a power base running program. He just knows that to do that, you also still need the high four-star wide receivers on the outside, because as you know nowadays, if you're Notre Dame, you can run through a lot of teams, even sometimes Ohio State and Clemson's defensive line. But eventually, if Notre Dame was 11-1 and right now and in the playoff, they'd be running into 
Georgia's defensive front. And if you don't have anything on the outside, you're certainly not going to do anything to Georgia's defensive front. That's just where the game has gone. So Freeman is evolving. I think, you know, he's the one thing we said about him when he was hired last year, everybody liked him from a human being standpoint, because he really is like a, just a genuine person to be around. You never see people just stop on a practice field and wave to reporters like he does. I think it's something that he will probably lose in the next five years as a head coach where you become a little more distant from others. The one thing we said was there's no chance Marcus Freeman's best coaching performance will be his first year because he's learning things on the job. So I think you'll see him improve. And then next year, they host Ohio State, they host Caleb Williams and USC, and they travel to Clemson. It's kind of a mirror. It's a repeat of last of this year's schedule. They have two of those games at home instead of on the road. You really got to be able to win one of those again. And the real key at Notre Dame is you got to sweep those other games. You, you, I know there's teams that pop up and they handle their business in the ACC. They have a 30-game regular season winning streak against the ACC, including a couple against Clemson. They lost that uh, playoff game to Trevor Lawrence with Clemson. If you handle your business in the ACC, obviously go out there and beat a team like Stanford again, which should not even be brought up really anymore for Notre Dame. You got to do some big game hunting too to be involved in the playoff hunt. I think when you're involved in the playoff hunt in November, it helps a fan base kind of embrace the season, even if that season ends with a couple losses. And that's what Kelly in his last five years did. He was every single year going into November 1st in the playoff rankings. He was either in the top four or the last team inside, outside looking in. I think that really would rejuvenate the fan base under Freeman for next year. Right. And Tim, you know, you look at both Shane Beamer and Marcus Freeman, they've actually kind of got a couple parallels with the kind of coaches they are. Again, both of these guys are noted player coaches. They both seem to get along quite well with the media. And, you know, of course, we'll try to use those press conferences in order to send messages to both their team and the fan base. And of course, Marcus Freeman, he's trying to change the perception as well at Notre Dame because Notre Dame, as good of a program as they've been, you know, maybe the last couple of decades, they haven't done as well as they would have liked to in some of the bigger games. While at South Carolina, of course, Shane Beamer's trying to change the perception almost entirely and, you know, bring South Carolina back to the national stage as a perennial SEC East and potential SEC title contender. Now, Tim, let's move on to the defensive side of the ball because kind of like offensively with Michael Mayer, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish have also lost maybe one of their best players, if not their best player, on that side of the ball in Isaiah Foskey, who had 14 tackles for loss and 11 sacks in the 2022 regular season, which far surpassed pretty much everyone else in both categories. So when looking at the loss of Foskey, how do you see the Irish trying to fill in the void left by him? Yeah, he's, it's a big part because they would they could rush four. And as you know, from a defensive standpoint, when you rush four on third down passing situations, you're a lot stronger on the back end. Your back seven is no is not a back six. It's a back seven. You can rush three sometimes with Foskey because of his ability to win one-on-one. He also blocked a couple punts and uh, almost blocked another one. Notre Dame blocked seven punts. I know special teams. There's only one special teams in the country better than Notre Dame's, and I am talking to uh, <laughs> that school right now, South Carolina's, and, and Brian Mason, the first-year special teams coordinator, came out and said, this is the special teams that is the best in the country. He felt his was the second best. Foskey was a big part of that. He played, Mason plays his best players on special teams. Michael Mayer was involved in two special teams. Isaiah Foskey in two special teams. He made players better around him. Now, the second best player, arguably this year, on Notre Dame's defense was actually Isaiah Foskey's backup, Justin Adamiola, who they, as a result, midway through the season, decided, hey, let's move him to the other side. Let's get him. He's kind of built for the side he's now going to be moving back to to replace Foskey. But he was a playmaker, a fifth-year senior, so he's a stronger guy. They said, let's move to the strong side. It makes us a little quicker. They did that. The defense got better. I suspect he will move back to Viper. That's the position they call the boundary pass rushing end. 
Um, as one former coach of Notre Dame said, try calling, try recruiting to drop end. So they decided to call it Viper instead of drop end as their, as their boundary rule. I suspect he'll play there, but I think he'll play on the strong side too. Notre Dame's biggest strength defensively is they do rotate pretty heavily up front. Foskey's out. One other guy is kind of going to be questionable, but you'll still see eight guys play up there. Notre Dame likes to rotate up front. So we talked to Al Gold about it yesterday, and he said, look, if somebody fills in and gets sacks or pressures the passer, I'm not changing how I call it. I can call four guys on the pass rush. If they don't, I'm going to have to bring more guys. And I suspect he's going to start bringing more guys just to try to get to Spencer Rattler because you don't want to let him get comfortable early. Well, it sounds like that Notre Dame uh, secretly has been preparing for the possibility of Isaiah Foskey moving on for the NFL this ball season. So be interesting to see how Notre Dame does handle the loss of Foskey with that defensive line rotation that you just brought up. Now, obviously, you alluded to this uh, in your last answer, so let's go ahead and dive on into this one. There's going to be a massive special teams battle that will be taking place on Friday afternoon. And yes, folks, it might not be the sexiest part of the football game, but South Carolina Notre Dame from the looks of things, are two programs that care very much about that third unit in special teams. So, Tim, what has led to Notre Dame's success in terms of special teams this season? Is there an excitement surrounding their matchup against South Carolina's special teams unit? Yeah, it's Brian Mason, the first-year coordinator. He came in and said, hey, we're not, we haven't been good enough on special teams. He was at Cincinnati last year, for fans that don't know, so that's how Marcus Freeman knew him. Cincinnati blocked six kicks last year. Uh, he is a tremendous special teams coordinator. He is 100% dialed in. They have a really good punt team. Punt return is solid. Great punt, the punt block. I mean, the punt return team is also punt block, so I guess they're the best in the country because they block seven, influence four or five more with two touchdowns, one against Clemson. USC, they block, they're so good at blocking punts. USC, genius move by, I almost said Lane Kiffin, genius move uh, by Lincoln Riley. Caleb Williams, the only times they punted, Caleb Williams pooch punted, and there was no chance for Notre to block that punt. It was actually a great move by Riley that I had not considered because no, they were they really struggled st- trying to stop teams from blocking or from getting through, and Notre Dame was going to get there. You know they had something dialed up for that game, so that was that was a smart move. The only thing Notre Dame did not do well this year, and I think they were kind of poor at it, and Mason mentioned it, is kickoff return. Chris Tyree returned from last year. He had a 96-yard kickoff return to beat Wisconsin last year in Soldier Field. So it was really weird they did nothing on kick return. I mean, bad choices by Tyree, who's a starting running back and a junior, three-year kickoff return guy. He was making choices that wasn't – they weren't getting the ball back to the 20 when you can fair catch nowadays. I know that's been a point of emphasis this month. But, yeah, this is the only team, and Brian Mason knows it, and the Irish fan base knows it because they like Mason so much. After they watched a lot of South Carolina in that Tennessee-Clemson game. Notre Dame fans tuned in for that because they were high-profile games. And you would see on our message board, I guess there is a team better in special teams than Notre Dame. And I guess this guy does deserve to be one of the Broyles Award uh, assistants up for the award. So, yeah, it's uh, it's strange to have special teams take center stage. It's too bad this game isn't like one rung higher, maybe a uh, major six bowl game, because it's the, it's the best two in the country going at it. No, yeah, absolutely. And of course, on South Carolina's end, a lot of fans were uh, very upset that Pete Lemba was not a Brawls Award finalist. Uh, it seems like that there's probably a stigma there against special teams coordinators, quite honestly, because of what him and Brian Mason both did. And one other thing for South Carolina to watch, Josh Van will not be playing in this game. He was the primary punt return guy for South Carolina this year. So Marion Brown, who has seen some snaps back there a couple times this year, but sporadically, is going to have to now carry the mantle. So one of the most high uh, one of the most stressful positions on the football field and punt returner. It's going to be something to watch in this uh, special teams battle on Friday.
Friday. Now, in just a couple moments, we're going to put a bow on this entire conversation with Irish Illustrated's Tim O'Malley. But before we do so, I do want to also let y'all know that today's show is brought to you by our friends over at the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Let's say you're hanging out with some friends and you're putting back a few drinks. A few becomes a few too many. And as the evening comes to an end, people start to head out and you think of calling for a ride. But you decide that you live nearby. You can make it home very easily. It's no big deal. What are the odds you'll get pulled over anyways? And even so, what's the worst that could happen? Your insurance goes up. Maybe you lose your license. Maybe you lose your job. Maybe you total your car. Or maybe you kill someone. Everyone knows about the risk of driving drunk. The results are tragic and often deadly. However, that doesn't stop everyone from getting behind the wheel while under the influence. And that's why police officers are out there right now looking for impaired drivers on our roads to save lives. So if you think you're okay to drive after a few drinks, think again. Play it safe and plan ahead to get a ride. It only takes one mistake to change your life or someone else's forever. Drive sober or get pulled over. Wrapping up our conversation here with Irish Illustrated's Tim O'Malley. Tim, we've talked about offense, we've talked about defense, we talked about the coaches, and we've talked about a little bit of special teams as well. So when taking everything into account, what is your final prediction for how this game is going to play out? Yeah, the curious thing for me is how will Tyler Buckner play uh, on in third down obvious passing situations. I guarantee you the first time Notre Dame faces third and 11 or third and 10, it is a running play with Tyler Buckner because they are not 100% confident in what he's doing yet. Now, they can't sustain that for the entire game. It, the offense is going to change. Drew Pine was not a runner. Um, Michael Mayer was the most important part of the offense. So you're, you're going to see changes here. I think they're going to lean on the offensive line. They have Their two sophomore tackles will be two NFL tackles maybe in two years, not in three years. I think they might both leave early. And Joe Alt, the great John Alt's son, and Blake Fisher. Jarrett Patterson might be the best lineman on the team right now as a fifth-year senior captain. So I think the offensive line does have an advantage over South Carolina. I just don't know how much Buckner can take advantage of it if the Irish running game doesn't. On the other end, I think Spencer Rattler is going to have a good day. Isaiah Foskey is important. One starter at Notre Dame, Cam Hart, is out. He also missed the USC game. Uh, he, yeah, he hurt his shoulder when it was 44 to nothing against Boston College on senior day in the snow at 44 nothing. And Notre Dame fans were not very happy about that because he was still out there on senior day. Uh, he is out for this game. A nickel, their best defender, Tariq Bracey, was a nickel. He missed the USC game as well. We did not know about that. As soon as we saw him not on the field and Caleb Williams on the other side, we knew there was going to be a massive problem. Bracey is back for this game as a fifth-year senior. So they have a solid secondary. Um linebackers in space have had a little bit of trouble this year they've really been they're forced three seniors they've kind of been the unfairly the scorn of the Irish fan base because you know you know, they have a lot of good young linebackers that don't play and of course message boards want good young linebackers to play so I'm I'm looking in the 28-27 range in this game and I was writing down that score thinking you know I, I feel like Notre Dame will win the game they haven't lost a non-major bowl game since 2011 that's just four wins and they, they've played four of these level bowls beat LSU twice, which is a big deal, beat Rutgers, which doesn't count, you know, something like that in those lines. But beating LSU twice, I think that's a solid level mid-tier bowl win in that. And I, and I think they have that in them in this again. Uh, if South Carolina didn't have so many opt-outs, I would go with South Carolina. But this is a total coin flip game. I saw two – I just looked at the last line. I saw two and a half points. If it was two and a half points either, either way, I would just take the underdog. I'm in like that 28-27 range. And that's putting faith in Tyler Buckner because he's going to have to make some plays in this game. 
His backup for people watching, Steve Angeli is a true freshman. He did not play a meaningful snap this year, much to the chagrin of our message board, because as soon as Buckner was lost for the year and Pine came in, everyone figured you have to get this guy a little bit of time in case he's thrown into Clemson or USC. Well, now it's the other USC in case he's thrown into the bowl game. He practiced a lot. He took some number one reps. I think it's a smoke screen. They listed him as or on the depth chart with Tyler Buckner. I don't think it's an or. I think Tyler Buckner is the starter. But Angeli would be more of a more of a passer than, than Tyler Buckner if you see the freshman come in. South Carolina and Notre Dame are both dealing with multiple losses on both sides of the ball, it seems like, from both the transfer portal, NFL opt-outs, and injuries. So it might be the team who withstands those losses the best that ends up pulling this one out in the Gator Bowl. Tim, you brought a lot of insight on the Fighting Irish on today's show. Can't thank you enough for all the time that you gave us today. Hey, thanks for having me on, Andrew. It should be a fun game. And, I, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle the absences. This is this is one of the higher-profile games with, in terms of total for South Carolina and just the, the two best players for Notre Dame. All right. I can't thank Tim O'Malley enough for joining us on today's show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. If you're interested in checking out more of Tim O'Malley's work, you can go and check him out over at irishillustrated.com or give him a follow on Twitter at Tim O'Malley all lowercase, capital N, capital D, for Notre Dame. And I hope that y'all enjoyed the interview today as well. What were your thoughts on it? Let me know down below in the comments section if you're watching today's show on YouTube, or you can shoot me a message at a line underscore SC on Twitter, and I'll try to respond to you as quickly as I see your message. And I thank you once again for making Locked On Gamecocks your first listen every day. Make sure to check out Locked On Sports today, where the biggest stories around the sports world take place in 20 minutes or less. Plus, instant reactions, game recaps, and Locked On's take of the day. Locked On Sports today, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Thank y'all so much for tuning in to today's special Behind Enemy Lines edition of Locked On Gamecocks. I hope you all have a great rest of your Thursday, and I will catch y'all on the next show of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. <laughs>